Hey everyone, welcome to Engineering Etc. My name is Tony Casera. I'm a senior software engineer at a startup working remotely here in Los Angeles, California. I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Gabriel Grover. Hello, everyone. Good to be here. So on today's episode, we're going to talk about what everyone's been talking about the last few weeks, which is chat GPT, learning models, AI, and what this means for us as software engineers and people in the industry as well who might be affected by this new technology. What do you think, Gabe? Are you worried about chat GPT? I kind of ignored it for the longest time. I just, you know, super busy lately. And there's always been hype around AI that I've, it's just always panned out to like, a big nothing burger, you know? And so I just kind of ignored it. And maybe it was like a little cope and self-preservation <laughs> in my mind. But actually just yesterday, I tried it out for the first time and it was pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, I think I felt the same way in the beginning. I was like, is this just another passing fad like crypto and other stuff? You know, oh, blockchain's going to change everything. Yeah. And I really think that this one is not going to be the case. I think there's just so much interesting stuff coming from it. My wife is using it. She's using it to, to mock up cover letters for jobs she's applying to. Nice. They're really good, too. Me personally, I've come to the point where I think that if you're ignoring this, you are going to be in danger. But I think if you embrace it and start using it and it becomes a marketable skill for you that you use this in your workflow, I think it's actually going to make you an even more valuable engineer that might benefit from it. It'd be really cool to see if someone with no programming background can like build something of sufficient complexity yeah. with ChatGPT and see how they can do like a prompting session with going back and forth with ChatGPT and see if they can actually build something. That'd yeah. be super interesting. It's not a trivial thing. The contextual aspect of it is really impressive. Maybe before we go further into this topic, let's talk about like what ChatGPT and all this, you know, AI actually is because technically I don't think this is what's considered artificial intelligence, right? Yeah, I mean, I get like, yeah, what is that even? You know, I think a less broader term would just be a large language model. Exactly, yes. Yeah. This is a huge data set that is being trained on a model that basically says, hey, I have all this information and given a certain prompt, I'm going to make a prediction about what it is that you're looking for based on all of this data that I have. Yeah. And totally. so GPT-3, which is what you interacted with using ChatGPT, or 3.5, I think, technically, has something like 100 billion data points or something. And today's March 17th, 2023. They just announced GPT-4, which apparently has already been in use by like Bing and a couple other services. And that one has something like on an order of magnitude, like a thousand times more data points. So the sophistication is even greater. Do you use GitHub Copilot? I don't. So I do. And I only started using it a couple months ago, to be honest, because I tried using it when it came out. And honestly, I wasn't very I remember, impressed. Yeah. yeah, I remember you used, you started you tried to use it at Thrive, right? I think so. I, and that was a while ago. That was yeah, a couple of years ago. Yeah. It wasn't very good yet. Like it was trying, but like it just it wasn't sophisticated. And then I used it a couple months ago on a take home and I was just shocked the difference. It's it's just it doesn't write code for you per se. But what's interesting is that like at one point, I was writing a function. I was like, oh, I need to iterate over this object and get the value property, you know, key value pair out of there. And I wrote the function name, which was like get value from object or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it literally said, oh, is this the function you're looking for? And it was literally like an object.entries with the tuple key value and then was like return, you know, value whatever into an array or into another object. And I was like, that's it. That's the the pain in the ass little piece of code I was going to write. You just wrote it for me and I don't have to write it now. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> totally. 
I have like a similar story, like the same wow moment with ChatGPT. So at my work right now, we're moving an automatic email service from Node to Rust. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And really, this is just for because we want to move into that direction using more Rust and this was like a good first like project for everyone to get used to it because it's simple. Yeah, it's just an email service. We need to build like an email template builder, right? So you can take in like email template types and it'll basically just substitute like brackets and that has like username in between and then replace the actual username in there, right? Like interpolating a string basically. Yeah, like a template. Yeah, exactly. So very pretty straightforward. I actually have the conversation like up my chat GVT conversation. Oh, for some reason it's not able to load it. You know, maybe the service is limiting people right now. Oh, probably some, is. Some, this, yeah. this is one of the things that I hate about. Anyway, so uh, long story short, I basically just says, build me an email builder in Rust. And it goes like, sure, I'll build it for you. You're probably going to want a struct and like was a conversation and built a email service and struct. And okay, perfect. It came up. So here, take a look. It. So Gabe's showing me his laptop right now, and I'm looking at his ChatGPT conversation. There's a couple of descriptions here. It's like a Medium article, to be honest. Totally. And so basically, it's like said, here's like your basic HTML. Here's some of like the basic Rust code. And then here's a little bit more of the Rust code to actually like kick off the server. This looks like it's, you tell me, because I don't know Rust, but like, is this enough code to actually like boot a server and have something working totally. on your computer? Yeah, I mean, like... It's the missing context, I guess, would be how do you even run this on your computer, you know? Right. You have to use cargo, right, for setting up Rust and everything. Totally. And yeah. But I bet if you prompted, like, how do I run this on my computer, it would totally tell you. So that's why I want to, like, see if someone with zero knowledge can build something with it by asking questions like that. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be a fun YouTube video. We should do that. Totally. So, to like up the complexity a little bit, after it built this very simple function, just a string replace function for an email template, I asked it, make the build email function adhere to the open-closed principle. All it means is just open for extension, closed to change like that. Right. Uh, the core functionality is not able to be mutated, but you're able to extend that functionality. Totally. Yeah. And so that use, usually means using some interfaces and stuff like that. And it totally did it like completely correct. Like it came up with a email template trait, used the previous example to use that trait as a specific use case of a template so you can make many of these right so this is just the basic email template it implements this basic interface and it shows you everything it's pretty wild and it tells you why it's following the open close principle once i did that that was like the kind of aha moment i was like wow this is very impressive i had no idea it was like this yeah. No clue. It's very it's very interesting to see. Did you watch the Fireship video on GPT-4 this week? That like just came out? It just came out like yeah. yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting he was talking about that like it's really good at stuff like documentation and like giving code examples based off of other stuff that it has already. Yeah. It, but it struggled apparently with things like leak code. 
So Oh yeah, I do remember him mentioning yeah. that in that video. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. And I'm wondering how this is going to affect for hiring then in the future, because actually when I used Copilot to do my take home mm-hmm. after I finished, cause I was like, I feel like this is cheating. I then threw it into chat GPT and I was like, all right, show me how to parse a CSV file in react and make recommendations. And it was like, sure, you're probably going to use this library called Papa parse. And I was like, oh my God, that's the library I used. Yeah. And it literally set everything up for me. And to be honest, I kind of like had a little bit of struggling like with with Papa Parse's documentation. And I saw the example and I was like, dang it, that's what it took me like half an hour to figure out. If I had just asked you, I would have had this sooner. Totally. It was pretty incredible. I even told who's now my employer, I was like, hey, have you guys tried running the take home through ChatGPT? Because uh, you might be curious to see the results. And <laughs> what was interesting is that my, my manager actually said, honestly, if someone told us that they use ChatGPT to do it and you know it looked really good and they saved time, I might actually give them bonus points for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is pretty interesting. The take home thing might be kind of ruined by this you know i think it is yeah yeah it's getting warm in here huh yeah plus i'm making a lot of noise (laughs) you know i'm a software engineer so i gotta have my patagonia you know but it's really noisy for podcasts used to call it patagucci yeah (laughs) i think coming back to sort of like understanding what's like important for engineers to understand about this i think it's inevitable that it's going to become of not only like your day-to-day work process but it's also going to become like something that employers want to implement. So every company and their mother right now is adding AI to their platform, right? Whether or not it's going to add value to the customer, I don't know. In some cases, for sure, right? Like being able to have like emails generated for you is (laughs) is a great thing. But like if you're using AI to enhance, you know, well, gosh, I guess like I was going to say like tax services, but like actually that might be great. But also, do you really want AI doing your taxes when the IRS is going to be double checking everything? I don't know. (laughs) They don't miss anything. Right. I mean, maybe the IRS should be replaced with a chat GPT bot or not replaced, but, you know, they to increase maybe to help increase the IRS's velocity because they're kind of swamped with a lot of work. Right. Right. They wanted to hire 86,000 some odd employees. (laughs) Now they can't because they roll back the funding. Yeah. Maybe OpenAI's got an offer for them, you know, maybe buy some OpenAI tokens or whatever they call now credits to to run ChatGPT. I forget what they're called. Yeah. Weren't yeah. they saying, though, that they were trusting some of these agents with guns? Do we really want to give OpenAI a gun yet? Wait, is this do a you, joke? You, no, I'm not kidding. Do you remember? <laughs> in s- someone? Okay, listen. I don't I don't want to go on and say that I for sure sus, but I seem to recall someone said it was... I don't even know what you're saying right now. What no. does that mean? Okay, IRS hiring gun? must carry gun. Hold on. Oh, IRS. Special, I think you said OpenAI. But that's what I'm saying. So the joke I was making is (laughs) we're going to trust OpenAI to, you know, be agents of the IRS. Are we also going to trust them to to carry firearms for them? (laughs) It was just a joke because apparently certain agents of the IRS criminal investigation, they may be required to carry firearms. And that's because they might be dealing with dangerous people. Like, I think that's a very legitimate concern. Yeah, like like a militias somewhere, you know, in some parts of the country. (laughs) Yes, yes. But anyhow, that, that that was a bad joke. But maybe we can talk a little bit about the ethics of this because you you mentioned this to me before we started recording and actually there's an engineer at my current workplace who refuses to use copilot for ethical reasons Uh, i guess like yeah i don't really i haven't really pondered on any ethical reasons more practical ones do you know the foundation series oh isaac asimov asimov totally so the basic premise is this really advanced civilization who is decaying because 
no one knows how to actually maintain things anymore and fix them. There's a lot of automation and it just starts going on a slow trajectory to regression. I've been trying to think of like, if I was born today, what learning how to do what I do right now be Mm. 18 years from now? And because, and maybe like ChatGPT will probably get better, you know, in that time. But I still feel like, like right now, it requires that experience to judge the solution, right? To to say like, okay, I, I mean, I've done this a long time where I, that example I gave, I'm like, this is good. I know this is good because I've used it before. I've had that experience. I've seen it in production. If you start your learning the skill set using ChatGPT, where do you get that experience from? It probably is, but that's like the first thing that came to my mind, right? Is like you have less and less people <laughs> knowing what they're doing and why they're doing it. And that's that's concerning to me, especially when software is mission critical software, like hospitals. Airplanes. Airplanes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cars. So, and, you know, it's already a small portion of the population, even small portion of software engineers who know how to do that, like, mission-critical stuff. So maybe nothing will change. The people who are interested in doing that work will take the time to, like, learn that stuff and put themselves through, you know, the necessary, like, learning experiences and hardships to get to that point. But, yeah, that'll be my main concern in terms of, like, practicality. And maybe there's, like, a ethic component to that concern of mine, but I, I don't know. I think that's an amazing point. I didn't even think about that. And it's so true. I think it's very easy to forget how to do things the way they've been done. They talk about things like in the Library of Alexandria that we lost, right? The the Roman fire that no one's ever been able to create again that was basically napalm 2,000 years ago. Like, sure. who knows what the, the you know ingredients were for that or how it worked, but it's gone to history forever. Yeah. Uh, so it was everything that was in the well, library yes, too. Yes. <laughs> but I was just giving an example that there's all this stuff that we had actually figured out in the past and then lost. And like, in a way we might be losing it too, to the fact that there's so much data here. You have trillions of data points. Could we ever actually really recover that data without having to ask the model to go get it? And then we have to trust the model that that's the right thing. Cause there's always mistakes in the, in the chat GPT things that I get back. Like they're never perfect. They're close. They're good enough. They're like, if I just need inspiration or if I don't want to write the first line of code, it's awesome because it just takes me like over that hump and I don't have to like, you know, push myself. Totally. I'm a master procrastinator. So like, this is like a huge thing for me in that sense. But I think like in terms of, yeah, are we forgetting how to do stuff? I mean, you've, you've hired contractors recently, right? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, we hired contractors for our house. And like, oh, my gosh, there is so much stuff that they clearly don't know what they're doing. They're kind of just like throwing stuff at the wall, like literally and hoping that it sticks. (laughs) And then like every so often you get a contractor who clearly learned how to do home repair and stuff correctly. And you're like, oh, why can't I just hire this person all the time? And because everyone wants to hire that one person who knows how to do the mission critical stuff, right? I, I think like for... People, I mean, for me, I'm building web features and I'm, you know, building up an occasional service or whatever. If I don't learn to integrate AI into my workflow, I think I am going to have a problem with my job because other people will and they'll be more valuable to employers. But for people who are writing a first of its kind, you know, compression algorithm or something like that, ChatGPT is just not going to be able to, to do that for you. It might be able to help in certain ways, but 
you need the person to think outside what data exists, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, this, it's, it's strange. It's very analogous to, even if you, I feel like ChatGPT, what it's doing, at least to our industry, isn't isn't like a new, it's not a novel thing. It's just making things faster, right? So before ChatGPT, what do you do as a junior engineer? You copy what you've seen done before. After you get used to that going forward, you build this knowledge and experience to know when to apply those things. So ChatGPT just like kind of squishes that gap yeah. or it's just making part of it faster. Yeah. But that's that's also the scary thing. So right now, who's using ChatGPT the most? The people you wouldn't want to be using ChatGPT the most, I would imagine, right? Yeah, I don't. Well, <laughs> I guess, like, let's say they made a specific one just for software engineering. So, ignore all like the peripheral stuff, like people flooding it with like memes and stuff like that. Put and, bad actors to the side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So, who are the people who are really using this? Right. So, like, what if for software engineering tool like ChatGPT gets trained on people who already know software engineering, right? Where does that component of dealing with someone who's new come in? Where does that training come in? Mm. And does that even matter? I don't know. I don't understand language, large language models enough to know that, but uh, yeah. Yeah, maybe we could find someone who does, though, bring him on a future episode. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, I think there's one more th- one more point I wanted to touch on, which is like, Maybe in some ways, too, like I feel like a lot of times people freak out about the singularity and stuff like that with artificial intelligence. And I wonder about like, you know, what you said about are we are we losing like sort of that in between step? It's like we don't write assembly language code anymore. Right. We're not we're not writing stuff on that low level. I mean, I was reading this thing about the Apollo mission and how when they converted it down to byte code, they then because they didn't want the hard drives to be affected by EMPs in space is they actually knit the hard drive together, like literally zeros and ones into this fabric to to be the hard drive by <laughs> hand. And I'm just thinking about that. It's like, that's crazy. But then we figured out how to shield hard drives and then we don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. And like, I think we're ultimately better off for it, right? Like it's better that we're not writing assembly. I think you and I've probably totally. both looked at like, you've looked at assembly, I'm sure I've looked at it. And like, it's interesting and I feel like I have appreciation for what we have now with JavaScript and C and stuff like that. But like, I don't know if it's necessarily that bad that we lose a lot of that because I think if people want to know about it, they'll find out. But yeah, I was actually talking to the CTO of my company like about this, this exact, we had this exact exchange. I told him my concerns that I voiced just a bit ago and he said, that's what they said when compilers were built. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, yeah, I get that. But is it exactly analogous? You know, I wonder too. So you and I, we're, we're in our 30s. Yeah. And we probably haven't lived quite long enough to see events like this enough in our lifetime. This is, I sure. think, for me at least, one of the first major things where I go like, oh man, this could possibly change the course of humanity forever. And in a way, I guess social media was that too. But like, I think you live through enough of those events that you kind of just go, eh, Humans are going to adapt and survive because that's what Darwinism and evolution teach us, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. So maybe that's a thing. I mean, yeah. population is shrinking. We're going to need more help with stuff like this. We're not going to have as much labor. Maybe it's, you know, it's just a part of the way things are going. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's just a 
another kind of fear thing too. Like, well, life's been pretty good, you know, as a software, software engineer. engineer. Yeah, <laughs> and this is like maybe, you know, also with SVB shutting down, like there might there seems to be some like headwinds, right? Like a market correction to our kind of outrageous salaries. Yeah, this has been really fun talking about this today with you, Gabe. Really glad we got a chance to talk about it. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you in the next one.